Hey, before we begin, I want to talk about Race Tech Pulp 21 to save. So if you've been needing some motor work, need some suspension work, need the suspension dialed in for you, or need the motor modified, the guys at Race Tech can uh, make sure that uh, the work is done right. And Alex Ray and those guys on that team, SGB Maxis Kawasaki, they use Race Tech. Mookie won a Supercross using Race Tech suspension up in Montreal at one point. They've been around forever. You know the name. You know the, the game that those guys do. They do great work. And if you're on the fence, for getting that suspension oil changed. I mean, look, just get it changed. Show your bike some love. The guys at Race Tech can dial you in. Pulp 21 is a code to save. So if you call down there and you go on their website, which is super informative, tells you the spring rates that you need and everything, mention Pulp MX and get the discount from the folks at Race Tech. A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show, presented by Maxis Tires, Renthal, Motosport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,700 podcasts delivered with over 17 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Gary Becker. He used to be uh, the bigwig at Pace Motorsports that ran Supercross for a long time. And Gary has had a hell of a life, and uh, he's going to get into that on this podcast. Very, very interesting guy. Very nice guy. And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this. Uh, Not, you know, there's some non-Supercross talk in here, but there's a lot of Supercross talk as well. So I really, really enjoyed doing this one. Thanks to Fly Racing. Go to your favorite dealer and uh, look at Fly Racing Catalog. 2021 line is deeper than ever before. The light pant is all new. The Formula Helmet has Rion technology. I love the kinetic mesh stuff because it's getting hotter here in Vegas. So it's great, fitting, uh, really, really good stuff from the folks at Fly Racing. Any color, any style, they've got you covered. So thanks to flyracing.com. And Zone Pro Goggle, of course, is a big push for them this year. Brayton's in it. Oldenburg's in it. Uh, Mitchell Harrison's in it. So, uh, yeah, these guys have done a lot for the Zone Pro stuff. Um, and they've done a good job with that. So thanks to the folks at, at Fly Racing for making it happen. Check out their goggle line as well. Uh, Renthal, the undisputed global leader in manufacturing design since 1969. Renthal has become notorious for relentless obsession to detail and quality through the commitment to produce the finest products on the market today. If you've used something from Renthal, you can vouch for that finest product on the market today line. From bars to sprockets to chains to brake pads to grips, uh, Renthal.com has got you covered. Uh, mountain bike stuff as well. They've got a great line of, of aluminum and carbon bars and stems, of course, uh, from the folks at Renthal. A fraction of a second, a few grams, a couple of millimeters. It all counts. Welcome to the winning world of Renthal. Uh, so please check those guys out. Lots of bends, lots of designs, lots of sizes uh, to choose from. Max's tires as well. Maxis.com for more information on that. Light truck tires, SUV tires, UTV tires, and dirt bike tires. Jeremy McGrath, he developed the new MXSTs, 
And uh, Alex Ray using them right now in Supercross. Jeremy Smith as well. Rod Bell, of course. Maxis.com for more information on that. Those guys have been great sponsors uh, of our podcast over the years, and we thank them for that. So motorsport.com, Coba Links also on board with us for this podcast show. Uh, before we get started with Gary, so we had the Houston races, right? And thanks to my buddy Eric Pennard, I got a hold of Gary. Uh, drove downtown Houston to do a podcast with him. Uh, took a all morning down at his office. They're all podcasts are always better in person, right? Can't always happen, but you try. So we did a, a great podcast. It was awesome. I saved it in his office while we were uh, bullshitting about some other stuff. And um, I come back from Houston and I go to to prep the rest of the podcast. And boom, it's gone. There's a minute and a half of Gary's podcast. I've been doing podcasting for 13 years and. It's only the second one I ever lost due to, I have no idea. I lost one when I had it open on my, on my computer and my uh, computer decided to shut down. And so I lost it. I had to redo it because I didn't save it right after I was done. And then I've lost this one. And Gary's a very busy guy. He's a very important guy. And no offense to my buddy Chiz, but I told Pookie, like, of course it couldn't happen to a guy like Chiz who I could immediately call back and just do it all over again. So, F my life, uh, Gary Becker, who I do not know and had just met and is a very important guy and does not, you know, talk much to many people. This is his first interview he's done since he left Supercross, as a matter of fact. Um, was gone. Minute and a half. And I still don't know what happened. I, I know the procedure to saving a podcast. And I did it right there in front of him. And I don't know what happened. If I were to, it was over an hour long. I don't need to bore you guys, but let me just bore you guys. It's over an hour long, and there's a minute and a half. There was basically my introduction to the interview, and that was it. But during the podcast, I was watching the file record us, just checking it out every now and then, as I do for every single podcast I do. So it was recording us the whole time, and then it was gone. And I don't know. It's the weirdest thing ever. Obviously my fault somehow, but I don't know what I did to do that. So podcast gone. Contact Gary, explain everything, and uh, man, it was cool. He uh, he agreed to do another one. So really, really cool of him to do that, and we, we figured out a time and, and a place, and we did it over the phone. Um, but yeah, it sucks for, for me to have that happen with him, but I appreciate him doing it again. So as you'll hear me talk about in the beginning of this podcast. So thank you, Fly Racing, Motorsport.com, Cobo Links, Maxis, Renthal, all on board with us. Thank you, people, for listening. Hope you enjoy this. I know I did. Here we go. And now, as promised, on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by the folks at Maxis Tires and Renthal, Cobalinks and Motorsport. It is the formerly of Pace Motorsports. He does some work for Sugarland Theater there in uh, in Texas. It's Gary Becker. What's up, Gary? How are you, man? Hey, Steve. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Texas. Oh, nice, nice. Good to hear. Now, I've explained this off the top of the show for people, but... You're a saint for doing to, to this for doing this again with me. I uh, you are the second podcast in 12 years that I completely lost, and I have no idea why. And I owe you, I owe you, Gary. I owe you a bottle of wine or, or something for doing this again. Well, my taste in wine is pretty high, so <laughs> I'm not sure you want to offer that. Okay, all right, scratch that then. Um, I'll send you an Olive Garden gift card. How's that? <laughs> 
I'll take a shot of one on the rocks. All right, sounds good. Uh, thanks again. So here we go. Uh, really interesting guy. Uh, you have done so much in your life, and uh, and you're still going strong, which I love to see. Um, but let's get back into it. So your dad, Alan, started Pace Productions, Pace Motorsports. Uh, when? Take us back to all the way back then. Well, the, the company back started in 1966, and back then it was called Pace Management. And probably very few people know that PACE is an acronym for presentations, associations, conventions, and exhibitions. Mm-hmm. And I bet over the years, very few people actually know that. I'm sure, yeah. And so the story goes back in 66, 65, Sidney Schlinker, which was his very good friend and partner, was riding on an airplane from New York to Houston and saw this lady sitting next to Judge Hoffines, who built the Astrodome. He bribed her with a hundred dollars to sit to sit in the seat next to the judge. Yeah, and all the way from New York to Houston, he he told him how him and his friend Alan Becker, who was an insurance salesman at the time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just out of the Air Force, selling insurance, and that they could do events in the Astrodome between baseball and football. Right, and so. Uh, they got a meeting with the judge and they went to the Astrodome, which, you know, dirt floor, the Orleans are playing, the Astros are playing. Yeah. And they convinced the judge that uh, they could do a boat show. And so they brought in a bunch of boats and boat dealers and the floor of the Astrodome, which at the time was a dirt floor. Yeah. And and that was their first show. And it's it's grown from there. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, so yeah. It was it was back in those days. It was RV shows. It mm-hmm. was boat shows. It was tractor pulls. Uh, the thrill show and destruction derby was was a big deal during the late seventies, and uh, I mean during the early seventies yeah. throughout the seventies. You know, Evil Knievel would come to our house when I was you know seven, eight year old kid, ten year old kid. No way. <laughs> and, and, have, and have and have dinner with us. And my mother is this you know nice Jewish lady from Sedalia, Missouri. Uh huh. And uh, Evil Knievel comes over and it was quite bantering back and forth in conversation. <laughs> evil is not is evil's not known to like hold his words, right? <laughs> yeah, but evil evil was a uh, fantastic man and a great entertainer, and he was you know of a different character, and that's what made him one of the greatest showmen in the world. Now, what did he do in the Astrodome? Which one was that? It's famous, uh, but which one was I mean, it? It, you know, back then it was like, you know, a 150-foot, 15-car jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In today's world, these guys can do it backwards, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but he did it on a stock Harley. So it didn't have the suspension. It didn't have anything. And in the Astronome on, on one side, uh, you came in the rodeo door, which mm-hmm. was the one that you bring all the dirt in for Supercross. And then once you go into the tunnel on the other side after you complete the jump, there's a wall. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you're putting up hay bales and you're putting up barriers and stuff. Yeah. So it's basically lay the bike down and slide into the wall. Now, did I read? I mean, it's, I think I read this. Like it sold out, like sixty-five thousand people or something for one of Knievel's jumps at the Astrodome. Absolutely, all right. those thrill shows. You know, we had Gary Wells jump. Yeah, we had Rex Blackwell jump. Um, we we created in the in the wrong way, right? Um, the net jump which a guy named Leonard Steinbeck attempted. Um, and it was the, the net we hung mm-hmm. parallel to the ground with cranes. 
And he had this physicist that basically said, if you leave the, the ramp at this speed, at this weight, at this angle, you're going to end up here. Mm -hmm. And the calculation he did not know was how fast do you have to hit the ramp to leave the ramp at that speed. Right. And while Leonard Beck was a stunt, a Hollywood stuntman, he was not a, a seasoned <laughs> motorcycle stuntman. Yeah. And so, you know, not only was the calculation incorrect of the speed he had to hit the ramp, but we found out later the uh, the, the net should almost be at an angle to the ramp with a catch net at the bottom. Well, unfortunately, he overshot the net and uh, got beat up pretty good. But he survived. And he survived. Okay. You know, yeah. he, he survived, but, but you know, he, he didn't do well. Your, your dad's just like, this is the worst promotion ever. This is Well, not, you yeah. know, it, we ended up not doing the show live because he, he was supposed to jump over a house into a lake. Okay. To, to test the theory. Yep. And then he was supposed to jump. I'm sorry. He was supposed to jump in a lake off of a dock. Yep. And then he was going to jump over a house into a pool. Mm -hmm. Well, he never attempted either one of those, and and we did want him to show up and yeah. and and not do the stunt. Um, we had a young lady, Debbie Lawler, who was, you know, it was Evil Knievel and Gary Wells, and then Rex, and then here comes Debbie Lawler. Yeah. Well, the night of her show, she refused to jump. Oh, jeez. You know, they called. They called. Uh, mechanical problems with the bike yeah yeah um but i'm not gonna say you know anything about that but she didn't jump we had to tell the sold out crowd oh, yeah that she's not jumping and so we didn't want to go through that again so we made him um he agreed to do a test um in the astronome same setup yep. and it was it was christmas eve you know these shows were the first weekend in january okay second weekend in january it was christmas eve and uh, he overshot the net and, and you know, was oh. in the hospital six months. Um, and you're, how old are you this time? Are you, are you now, is your dad putting you to work a little bit? No, no. Not my yet. Dad, Not yet. My okay. Dad, my dad's 89. He's, he's, he's a stage four dementia patient. Um, he's struggling a bit, but he's doing okay. Good. He's 89. Um, and so, you know, our family companies have, have pretty much uh, closed down mm -hmm. or been sold. And my brother, my sister, myself, we just kind of do our own thing. Right. That's awesome. Um, so your dad, at some point, the judge, the owner of his Astrodome, which, by the way, was like the eighth wonder of the world, right, when it opened. It was amazing. Um, it's, it's still there. What are they doing with it, Gary, by the way? As a side note, what are they going to do? They're paying. They're making interest payments on the money they still owe. <laughs> really? Are you serious? Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's owned by the county. And okay. The, the the new stadiums up where the Texans play. Yeah, the rodeo goes and and you know Feld Motorsports does their events there. Supercross is there. Yeah, so they haven't quite figured out what to do with the. Astros. It's got to be condemned at this point, right? You know they've had, they've talked about a parking garage. They talked about a casino. They talked about a convention center, but right. I mean, I I don't know the facts, but what I've read and been told. There's still like about forty, fifty million dollars owed from when they redid it. Holy you know, back smokes! Eighteen sixty-three, <laughs> and, uh, and they just don't know what to do with. It. You know what's funny is you go there. So I, you know, I, I went to the Astrodome for years for the Supercross races, and we're going to get into that. You go there now, and it was so big, it was so massive. You go there now, and it looks so dwarfed 
by Reliance Stadium or whatever it's called now, Energy Stadium or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah, like yeah. you're just like I cannot believe that thing at the time was so big. It was so yeah. huge. And look at it now next to the modern stadium, you know? So yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Um, so uh when does your dad first be like, okay, so the the, the, the jump shows are great, selling out. The judge is okay. stoked, right? The judge is stoked because these these things are bringing in money uh, right. in the off season. So how does your dad get into I want to well our mutual friend Davey Coombs told me a story that your dad first brought in flat trackers was the first thing. Yeah, my yeah. kid was a good friend of mine growing up. My kid was, yeah, yeah. My kid, my kid is, yeah. We did the flat track and the TT race, yeah, and, and those did great. That was before Supercross, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Those did great, and you know, with the thrill show and destruction derbies we talked about, and. Mm-hmm. And, and those shows, you know, progressed and then tractor pulls, you know, became an indoor thing. Um, but in 1975, the Superdome was opening. Yep. And so that New was Orleans, New Orleans. Yeah, for New Orleans. Yeah, that was yeah. the second second stadium being built. And they wanted to do some opening events. And the only company that has ever done any events in a stadium was you know, this company out of Texas called Pace. Mm-hmm. So they hired Pace to to come in and, and they did three weeks of the circus. They did a black tie event with Bob Hope, a charity event. And then uh, my dad met a guy named Louis Messina. who was one of the best rock and roll concert promoters ever. Mm-hmm. And he was a club promoter at the time. And his father was a boxing promoter. So it was yep. pretty much in their veins and just said, Hey, Louis, let's, let's create this rock show in the Superdome, which they did Southern rock show, Almond brothers, Charlie Daniels, stuff like that. Yeah. Sold out, and at the same time, the the summit in Houston, Texas, was being built, and so they cut a deal with uh, with the summit, and uh, became the the promoter of record at the summit. Louis moved to uh, from New Orleans to Houston, and uh, that's how Pace Concerts was started. And your dad's just like, "Cool, let's start doing that." Yeah, yeah. Wow. He was like, "Cool, you guys show me the way." Because yeah. he, yeah, my dad was a Broadway guy. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, you know, at the same time, uh, uh, the idea was to take Broadway out of New York and take Broadway on the road. Yeah. So people in Lexington, Kentucky can see the same kind of Broadway, different cast and crew, but the same show that's playing in New York. And uh, that company was called Pace Theatrical, and it grew to like 23 or 24 different markets. Wow. We'd, we'd go in and make an investment in, say, The King and I. Uh-huh. And, uh, we'd get touring rights. Yep. And so that company did well. And then my brother, who is, uh, I was at the company as a production manager for the concert side. And mm-hmm. my brother came in because he's got all the brains in the family. <laughs> and, he, and and he's like, man, why are we paying the summit all this money? Why is the summit making all this money on food and beverage and mm-hmm. parking and everything else? And so we decided to build amphitheaters. That started in the early 80s and yep. 81. Nashville, Tennessee was the first, and it grew to eight or nine or ten amphitheaters, you know, over the years. And uh, unfortunately, in 1999, uh, so in 1994, uh-huh. April 7, 1994, everybody in the motorcycle racing's friend, C.E. Altman, passes away. Yeah. And, you know, his whole his whole line was Howdy Neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he passed away on April the seventh, ninety four, and they said, "Hey, Gary, you're going to be moved from music to to, to this to, this to, dirt racing thing." <laughs> well, to, to motorsports, yeah, to yeah. motorsports, you know. Yep. 
So Motorsports was being operated out of Chicago. Charlie Mancuso was the the uh, the president of Motorsports, and then a host of just great people working at the company. Right. Um, what's your first memory of Supercross? Now you talk about the flat track. My kid bringing in flat tracking and, and all that. What's your first memory of Supercross? Well, my first memory was going to the Denver Supercross. Well, I mean, no, I mean as a kid, like way back when. Uh, as a kid, yeah. Uh, Harold Harold Morrell. Does that name sound no, familiar? No, no. I think Harold Morrell was the dirt track builder. Okay. Uh, before Rich. Okay. And I mean, I'm 15, so yeah, this yeah. is 1974. Yeah. And uh, I'm working a loader. <laughs> so your dad, I, your dad's like, hey, my kid will work the loader. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think it was, hey, who's that kid standing there? He's not doing anything. Put him on a loader. <laughs> Okay. So I, was, I was pushing dirt around and and, yeah. and, and loading trucks and yep. and they wouldn't put me on a dozer because apparently you can do a great deal of damage <laughs> on the track with a dozer. <laughs> so they said keep them off the dozer. Oh, by yeah. the way, there's a, there's a broom over there. Have them sweep the dirt out of the production office. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just whatever, huh? Yeah. So I, so I did anything. I did anything. I just loved being around it. You know, I grew up at the dome, running around. The yeah. Dome. I was eight or nine years old and. You know, so I was there a lot. It was, it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah, no one, a, no one got a free ride around our company. Yeah, really, right? Dad, dad made sure everybody kind of had a job or did did something, right, to help the family right. business. Um, so your dad kind of starts running the supercrosses for uh, Orleans and Houston and and that area, right? Like he's the promoter well, for for the for the supercrosses. You know, d- dad was the CEO of the company, so CE Altman was running motorsports. Yep. And C.E. Altman was pretty much the guy that, that, that ran that business. Yep. Um, and then, you know, Charlie Mancuso ran the day-to-day. So C.E. didn't run the day-to-day. Charlie Mancuso ran the day-to-day. And, uh, you know, C.E. was our CEO. Uh, how does your dad meet C.E. Altman? How does that happen? Okay, so we're talking pre-Judge Hoffines, right? Okay, oh, wow. Okay, so way back. Yeah, yeah. In the mid-'60s, uh, Pace needed a loan. And so Sydney's father owned a bank in Houston and they went and had a meeting with the bank and they filled in a loan application and C.E. Altman was the loan officer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, the story, right? Yep. You hear so many stories as you're growing up. The story is that on the loan. So back in those days, the owner of the bank was the guy that was in charge of the loan committee. So he, so Sydney's father, I think his name was Irv Slinker. He's looking at the loan and he goes, "Okay, you want five thousand dollars." Remember again, this is nineteen mid sixties. Yeah, you want five thousand dollars, and the collateral is this Corvair car. Okay, is there a boat behind the car because the car's not <laughs> worth five thousand dollars? Yeah. Okay. Well, they got the note. Yeah. He turned to C. E. Altman and said. You are now going to be with this company. Yeah. It was really CE and Allen. Yeah. And Sydney went to run the Astrodome during these times. Okay. So it was really Allen and CE running the company. And it was really CE running the boats, the boat show and the, the, the other flat shows, mm-hmm. RV shows, and the thrill show and destruction derby and stuff. And Allen making sure CE didn't go wayward right right <laughs> now for people who are listening that maybe are don't go that far back in the sport felt the guys at felt motorsports still give away a ce altman award every single year to different people in industry you know that have served the sport and helped the sport grow and all of that so 
this uh, C.E. Altman, who passed away uh, years ago, is still being honored and remembered by the folks at Fell, which is cool. I like to see as that. It, as he should be. Right, as right. As should be. I mean, if we lose track of the guys that started it mm-hmm. and the guys that brought it along and the guys that made a difference, then we lose track of everything. Yeah, yeah, well said. So you're 15... 16, 17, going to Supercrosses. Are you are you hanging out with, like, Bob Hanna and Bailey and these guys? Like, are you meeting these dudes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- yep. know, back then it was easy, right? Right. They were, yeah, they were all great guys. Yeah, they were yeah. Great guys. Did you ever ride yourself? Uh, I never did. No, never did. I, never, okay. I had a I had an Osa Phantom 250 in college that I would just run around this, this dirt field, but it froze up and I couldn't find parts, and I was a broke <laughs> college student. And that, <laughs> and that was it. That was all she wrote. Um, now, out of all the things that your dad is doing, and CE's running motorsports and and, and the, the Broadway, is 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 the motorsports profitable? Is it the theater stuff that's profitable? The concerts, like what is really crushing it for your dad and in business wise? Well, everything pretty much went back into the company. Yep. And and you know we had divisional heads, so like Louis Messina ran music, and right. Miles Brooks ran theatrical. And CE ran motorsports, and and Dad pretty much managed them, mm-hmm. and they all did well, depending on which year. So okay. The 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 music would do well, you know, just about who's working, right? So if the if the music artists aren't working, you can't do shows. Something about motorsports, it was a first quarter business. Oh, okay. Yeah. January through April business, and so that's historically not when the touring industry is working. Mm-hmm. And so this and uh, and so the cyclicalness of each division helped maintain the company throughout the year. Right, right. But um, there are times, you, know, you have bad economy, people aren't buying tickets. You yeah. have good economy, economy, people are buying tickets. So right, it it was you know year to year and cyclical throughout the season. Um, but all in all, we had you know we had the best people, and you're only as good as your people. Right. And and they all did great, you know. They did great. If I blindfolded you, could you walk around the Astrodome and know every room in that place? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Uh, uh you know, I, I can't see her here now, so Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's all age related, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. As long as there were plenty of restrooms during the tour, I'd make it. You'd be fine. Uh Gary Beck here on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Um so uh and we're gonna get back to Supercross here in a little bit, but uh, your dad comes to you and, and is like, look, you're going to work under Lou, your concerts. Well, when I was a kid, when I was 15, 16, I was working in a uh, a clothing store up in shipping and receiving. And then when Pace Concert started in November of 75, mm-hmm. so I'm 16 years old, I became the runner of the concerts. And so the runner is the guy that Shows up at seven o'clock in the first of all, the night before you go to the store and you buy all the beverages for the crew and yep. the band throughout the day. I show up the next morning. I got to go get ice. I load up the beverages for the crew breakfast. And then, you know, the bus drivers sleep during the day. So when they stop and they drop the crew off, mm-hmm. they leave the bus there, but you have to take them to the hotel. So I'm driving the bus drivers to the hotel I'm picking up nine volt batteries and guitar strings for the guitar tech. Yeah. I'm taking laundry to wash and fold. And then I set up lunch and I set up dinner and I set up the dressing rooms, beverages only. You're 16. I'm 16, 17. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And, uh, and I get $35 in the coolest crew shirt you get because, you know, the next day everybody at high school is wearing the concert shirt, but my shirt has crew on it. Yeah. So I, I guess I think I'm something special, but you know, well, it was just, it was just a long ass day for 30 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Right. Well, we all have stories of our parents definitely, uh, putting us to work like that kind of stuff in whatever the family business is. Um, yeah. And for you, like you're going to school, you're going to math and science and whatever. And you're just like, man. I just hung out with the guys from Leonard Skinner last night. <laughs> like, like this is this, this sucks. <laughs> well, I'll tell you on the music side, you know, on the produ- the production guys that work for the promoter, there's not a lot of hanging around. Right. The art. You know, I've met quite a few, and mm-hmm. I've you know been around quite a few, but you know, I've only got a handful of you know friends that I would say that were art. You know, Sammy Hagar is a great friend of mine, and worked for Peter Frampton, and he's he's a good guy, but. You know, it's not really that yeah. we're hanging out with the artists so much. Right, right. And by the way, uh, as you know, uh, Hagar, I, I'm the biggest Hagar fan ever. Just uh, from, from his solo stuff to Halen to, to now. Just love it. I love the fact that you could probably, you, had, you showed me photos of you and Sammy hanging out uh, the last time I saw you. So it was great. Fantastic. Yeah, he's, he, he's one of the most amazing artists I've ever been around. He, he does seem that way, and he seems such a genuine, nice, cool guy. He does not he seem, you know, he just seems like a totally regular dude. So he is. He's the best. Um, and he still belted out. Yeah. He's one oh. of those guys that that you know, obviously took care of his voice. Yep. And when he gets on stage, he can still do it. Oh, hard. terrific show! Amazing, amazing showman for sure. Um. So, uh, yeah, so you're doing this, you're setting up and you're moving up through the ranks, uh, and you're just, you're just kind of in running, running the, or helping Lou run these concerts. And as you get more and more, as you get older, you get more and more responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I became production manager yep. with the team of two or three guys Yep. and, you know, pace was, was busy. Right. So, you know, you're doing, you know, you're doing 150 shows a year. We did uh, 10 years of one of the biggest outdoor music festivals in, in Dallas called the Texas World Music Festival. A um, lot of festival shows, a lot of big shows. Yeah. Yeah, we were, we were busy. Right, right. We were, we were busy. I, I did spend about a, three semesters at college, and I wasn't a very good student. So, <laughs> so that ended my college, my college career and moved back, moved back home, slept on a friend of mine's couch for three months, started to work for a company called Clearlight which was a touring lighting company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I went on the Frampton tour. And then in, in 81, um, in 81, the Rolling Stones were, were doing tours through Texas and Pace got the dates and, and Pace needed some help. So they said, Hey Gary, we're going to give you a chance to, to make up for your, your bad, <laughs> your bad ways in college. college yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that was 81. And, and I worked uh, doing that from 81 to 94 uh, when CE died. And then they said, okay, you're going yep. over to Motorsport. What a time, though, in, in concerts, though. What a time in the 80s and, and you know, sort of the, the, the period of excess, right, and the rocket being run around those guys. You have to make sure these guys are at the show. Uh, they're going to make it. Uh, everything runs smoothly, right? You're, you're in charge of kind of the venue slash uh, uh, crews of the venue, all of that, just an enormous responsibility along with a lot of stress. Um, you know, you didn't think of stress in those days, okay? <laughs> um, but, but I'll tell you, you know, you know, we were the liaison between the road, which whether it's the artist or the artist crew, mm-hmm. and the local venue. Yep. And so they give you a pretty detailed rider on on how they want their show to go and their needs. 
you know, from the brown M&Ms in the dressing room for Van Halen to parking to everything else. And uh, just like Supercross, you know, Supercross, you know, has the same needs. They go into RDG and it's like, this is what we need. Yeah. Someone's got to provide it. Now, the M&Ms, is that true? Yeah. Hell yeah, that's true. (laughs) And they wanted, yeah. They just wanted to make sure the promoters were reading yep. the details of the rider. Yes, because if they if they if they screwed that up, what else did they screw up? Right, that's kind of what was the thought of it, right? You know, I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think part of it was a joke, and I think a lot of it was, hey, this is what we want when we're on the road. We're right. away from home. We're sleeping in hotels or mm-hmm. on buses. We're taking showers in a dressing room in, in a the- in an arena somewhere. So. This is what we want, and it's your job to provide it. And so, if you don't take care of those details, you know they're like, "Hey, wait a minute, you're not doing your dig." Right. You know? So if you if you go on the Texas shows with the Stones, right, and you're you're kind of the, the guy to, to make sure at all these venues that they're in, they're they're handled. And the next tour, you maybe do it again. Do you at all strike up at least a conversation with any of these guys, or, or is it just business? Not with the artists. No, no. Okay. Yeah, just. But, you know, the, the road crews, they come, they would come through Texas, you know, two or three times a year yep. with, with different artists. So, you know, we're, we're kind of a, I say we're, I mean, this is, we're, we're talking years ago, right? Right. But it's a family of people. It's a family of people that are in a very hard business at a very hard job, mm-hmm. uh, long hours away from home difficult situations and to make it work as easy as it seems when you're watching the show, right? Everything has to come together. You know, it's like doing a super cross race and two days before the show, it rains. Yeah. Right. So you're in Florida, you're getting a downpour. Well, this team of people, they got to get together. Right. Right. And let's say you have two beautiful days of sunshine. Well, the audience that comes and sees the race, all they see is everything's this beautiful track, <laughs> sure. great race, and they have no clue what goes into it. Right. And so if this team of people, whether it's motorsports, whether it's music, yep. whether it's theater, whether it's anything, this team of people is a very special group of people, and they have to bring it together. And you just, no one really realizes except for that team what goes into it. Do you and get yeah? Do you get to watch the show at all? Um, you know, it, I'll oh. watch. I'll watch Sam. I'll yeah. watch Bruce Springsteen. Um, nowadays, you know, I built this theater with the city of Sugarland mm-hmm. um, that opened uh, four or five years ago, and I would go sit out front and I would watch every every band because I just love watching live stuff. Right, right. But if it was the same band over and over, you know, you. You find yourself in the production office with your feet on the desk, yeah. waiting for it to end, yeah. so you can put out the show and go do the next. Right, one. and and, and uh, your Sugarland Theater, I, I did some research on that too. It seems like a really cool venue for music. Just, you know, the big stadium shows are awesome, but they lose you lose it a little bit. The best shows, and I'm sure you can agree, are in places like the theater that you're working with. Like that's yeah. the, just the greatest atmosphere. This theater is is the most amazing theater I've been in. Yeah. It, it, you know, you can do 3,000 seats, 4,500 seats, 4,800 seats, yeah. 6,400 seats. The walls move, drapes come down. Mm-hmm. So no matter what show you're in, you're going to feel like you're in an intimate setting. It's got brilliant acoustics, great sound, great lights, great video. So it's too, it's too small for Sammy, though. 
No, Sammy's played there. Oh, he has. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, if he's coming back, I'm I'm on the first plane to Houston. Come on. So, Come on. um, uh, so, well, hey, well, you told me a funny story uh, for the Stones and the Cotton Bowl, a, a disaster, a near disaster for you guys. Uh, yeah, this is one of those learning experiences <laughs> that, you, that you never fail at twice. Mm-hmm. So I forget the year. I, I want to say the Steel Wheels Tour. So maybe early 80s. Mm-hmm. And in the Cotton Bowl, there's a huge crown. It's artificial turf, and you have to cover the turf with a tarp. Right. And in Texas, uh, well, this was October, so it probably wasn't as hot. Um, we normally work at night. So what we did is we laid down this tarp and we inadvertently covered the drains. <laughs> and then the concession stands came in and they put their concession stands on top of the tarp. Yep. So here, here comes the rain and you can Google rainstorm rolling stones. <laughs> oh, it, oh, it's on Google. It's, it's in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you'll see some amazing photos of, of, uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards just playing in the rain. Right. Just, I mean, we're talking downpour yeah, rain. Yeah. And so, because of the crown, because we covered the drains, the state, the floor of the stadium starts filling up with water. And you know, the crown I want to say is like maybe a thirty-six inch crown from the middle of the field to the to the edge of the stadium, and that's a pretty good sized crown. Yeah. And I mean, it starts it starts flooding. It's that bloody. <laughs> so, so it was. It was shows back to back. So there's a show the next night. So we had to. This is overnight now. Yeah, right? yeah. After the we show's over, eleven thirty at night, midnight, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. We got to tear down the concession stands, and we got to roll up the tarp to let the field drain, and then we put the concessions. Then we fold the tarp up to the drains, right? So yeah. we don't that same mistake twice. Yeah. It was one of those things where you look back and you go, God, we should have thought of that. <laughs> What's wrong with us? Yeah. That's so elementary. You know? Right, it's right. Like, you covered the drains? <laughs> your, your dad's like, son, you covered the drains? Oh, uh, he had no idea. Right, right. But Louie. Louie, yeah. Louie, you know. Um, so you're talking early 80s, and we're going to move into the motorsports part of it here. That's a lifestyle, Gary. Like, did you find yourself – getting caught up in it or, or really taking like, you know, really coming to a point where you're just like, like, I'm not healthy. This isn't great. Uh, Cause what a, what a, you know, 10, 15 year run of, of all the stuff that you just talked about, the super late nights and the rock stars stuff and following these bands in, in some cases, did you find yourself uh, getting caught up in it and, uh, you know, maybe not living the healthiest life? Well, as you look back, you know it wasn't the healthiest life. <laughs> but as you're living it, you know, you're in the 80s. You know, our our parents aren't as smart when it comes to those things as we are now. Right. And, and you know, it's, I mean, I never, you know, it was never that bad for me. Yeah. Right? And it's not as bad as anybody thinks. You know, the stories you hear, you hear the worst case scenarios. Right. But there's a lot of work going on and you know, you can't be all messed up no, for if, sure. if you're working 18, 20 hour days. Um, not to say we didn't have a lot of fun during that time, but you know, we were 22 to 35 years old. Yeah. And you know, at that point you're, you're not, you're look, your brain hadn't even come to a hundred percent complete until you're 28, 29. So I, I, I want to say you maybe had the coolest job ever. One of the coolest jobs. I mean, a lot of work, like you said, but still, yeah. 
It yeah. was it was a fun time. Right, right. Time. And I've met some lifelong friends, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are still doing it. And uh, you know, this pandemic has has hit these guys really hard. Yeah. You know, it's not like they have huge four hundred one k's or or. I mean, they just from one day to the next, they're just out of work for fifteen months. So, so I think the industry's kind of come together, and you know, we're on the rebound right now. Things are going to start coming back. I think September you'll see. I just. Yeah, I just got emails about uh, here in Vegas. I live in Vegas. I just got emails about shows in they're they're selling shows for September, tickets yeah. on sale for September. Yeah. So, yeah. and I mean, I'm talking like Billy Idol and Penn and Teller, like you know, name brand stuff, like big stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're good stuff. Um, yeah, that's it's amazing. So I I read on the internet that you had a you had a a fun time with Axl Rose in one tour. Well, I've never met Axl Rose, right? But he's kind of a Quirky guy. Yes, yes. And we had a situation in Dallas at our amphitheater that he told – I get a call from the limo driver, and he says, Axel wants me to take him to the airport. <laughs> it's, it's probably <laughs> it's probably, it's probably 7 o'clock. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the opening act's probably on stage. Right. And so, you know, we, we huddle, production group, you know, huddles. And I said, okay, to the limo guy, just – Bring, tell him you're going to the airport and bring him here. And so once we once we got him in the gate, you know, he's coming in the limousine. Once he got him in the gate and closed the gate, his tour manager came out and, you know, had a lot of experience dealing right. with, with Axel and stuff. And, and um, you know, yeah. went to the dressing room for a couple hours. He was a couple hours late like he yeah. always was back then. And it went on stage and did a great show. Yeah. Amazing. But, yeah. But it was, uh, it was, you know, if the guy was adamant, and, you know, we got 20,000 people in the amphitheater and you got the opening act on stage. It's, Oh, I can imagine. It's things, it's things like that that keep you on your toes. You know, I went to, I was the biggest Guns N' Roses fan ever. And the Use Your Illusion tour was going on. And I go up to the, we buy tickets. You know, I sleep, I sleep overnight to buy tickets, right? This is the, yeah. before the internet and everything. So I get tickets. They're not that great. I go to the arena to watch it. He's two hours late, as usual, right? Which kind of, we all knew that, like whatever. And then he comes out, Gary, and he just sits on the drum riser for the first 30 minutes of the show. Just microphone in hand, sitting on the drum riser, like no no emotion, no anything. Just like, you're like, you're like, dude, I slept overnight for tickets for you. This is what, this is what you're going to do? So I was pissed. <laughs> you know, once he gets going, he's great. But you know, some artists... I don't know. I, I I don't want to comment on on what was going through his head. Yeah, who knows? But you know, the the difference between, especially shows nowadays, where some of these guys are you know sixty seventy years old, mm-hmm. you can tell the difference why the guy's up there for a paycheck or he's yeah. up there he just wants to do it, or you have a guy that like like Sammy, who's a great example, mm-hmm. who is still having fun. Yeah. And he's still emotional with the audience, and he's still able to take that audience into the main reason that they're there, which is to forget about everything in the world except what's going on during those ninety to a hundred minutes. Right, right. And that's and that's the artist's job, right? The artist's job is to take you away from your mess and put you into their hands, and for them to to take you through this entertainment story i don't want to get too weird about it but they they take you where they're supposed to take you and you just have this crazy ass time and you leave there just exhausted and everything you know all those emotions that you get from that 
No, and you're, then you're right. And some artists that go up there and just sit up there and play, it's just kind of, okay, it's great seeing the artist, but you know what? I just didn't feel it. Yeah, like I'm not a Springsteen guy, but I like his stuff. But I almost have to go see him in concert. I, I, these people talk about this. It's like a religious experience to see Bruce, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go just because I got to go see this guy because he just plays his heart out every night. He's, he's amazing. He's amazing. We did, we did two shows with him in the Cotton Bowl. And after the first show, we saw the upper deck swing. <laughs> I mean, because everybody's dancing yeah. in the same rhythm, right? Yeah. And so obviously, these upper decks aren't made for a three-hour swing. And we brought in we brought in engineers to say, "Hey, make sure this is going to yeah. make it." Yeah. Right? Yeah. Really, right? Jeez, I bet. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Gary Becker. Good stuff, right? Love it. Uh, don't forget, go to your favorite uh, dealer, favorite online retailer, ask for Fly Racing. Go to motorsport.com and ask for Fly Racing. Flyracing.com, of course, the Formula Helmet's got Rio and technology. Honestly, it is the lightest, quietest, safest market on the helmet. Uh, market on the helmet? Helmet on the market, dummy. Uh, please check it out if you're in the market for a high-end helmet. These guys have done a great job with the helmet, and they've absolutely knocked it out of the park on this one. So, uh, And they got the Formula CC this year as well. I want to thank the folks at Cobolinks. It's been almost 25 years since Cobolinks lowered the first motorcycle based in Boise, Idaho. They made the Suzuki DR350 seat height a little shorter for trail riders around the world. So if you are shorter person, if you want your bike to uh, have better plushness, improve your cornering, you want to gain confidence by having the lower center of gravity on your bike, check out Cobolinks.com. Get 15% off any link and free U.S. shipping by using the code PULPAMEX. Cobolinks.com, built in Boise, ridden and raced everywhere. K-O-U-B-A links.com. They make lowering suspension links for everything from Aprilia to Yamaha. Used by trail riders, motocross racers, and adventure tours. So thanks to those guys for coming on board. And also thanks to the folks at motorsport.com. Whether you race on the track, ride on the trail, go on the street, you got a UTV, whatever it is, you need an aftermarket part, you need an OEM part. These guys have everything you need, man, from head to toe, from uh, wheel to wheel. Motorsport.com will have you covered. Go through the banner on pulpamex.com or pulpamexshow.com. Takes you right to Motorsport. We have some special deals from our, our, our partners on there as well. And a great return policy. Free shipping over 79 bucks. Uh, they are absolutely crushing it with their service and their prices and their customer service. So great guys at Motorsport.com. Support all of the podcasts. Support Pulpamex by going through the banner to go to Motorsport and take your business over there. And you'll be happy. And if you're not, email me. Tell me what's up. If you haven't had a great experience at Motorsport, I guarantee you I won't get any emails. It's that good. And, of course, thanks to Renthal and Maxis as well. Back to Gary Becker. All right, let's move into the motorsports part of it a little bit. So you're doing the concerts. Everything's great. You're living the lifestyle. This is something that I would dream about, by the way, even even with the work hours because um, I'm such a rock and roll guy. Uh, but now, like you said, C.E. Altman, uh, um, he's, he's running the motorsports. He's ill. And he passes away. And it's on you now. Yeah, they put me. They put me in CEO of Motorsports. Yeah, I go to Chicago to meet with Bill West mm -hmm. and Charlie, and I kind of get an idea of you know what's going on. Um, I guess it was the same year as was it Vegas in '94? Vegas '95. Vegas '95. The lights go out. There's an in, uh, for just for our listeners. The lights go out. The riders are already upset with AMA, with payout, with promotion, promoters, et cetera, et cetera, in 95. The lights go out in Vegas, and um, obviously some backup generators were brought in, and they did hold a race. But some guys, like Jeremy McGrath and others, 
right. sort of were pissed off enough that like they didn't want to race, and so yeah, we ha- the the final round was just uh, you know Jeff Emig gets his first Supercross win, but a bunch of guys don't race. Some guys do. There's a lot of fractions. A lot of uh, promoters are, are are battling with the riders, and it, it is a, a bit of unrest in Supercross. Okay, was was Denver after that? I'm trying. Denver to was back. 96. Okay, so I got more involved after the Vegas race. So yeah, in Ve- you had to get probably some news like, hey, things aren't going well with with Supercross. Well, so CE died April 7th, and so Vegas was two or three weeks later. So I was probably somewhat unaware mm-hmm. of the history between the riders and the promoters and the AMA. Yep. And back then there were several promoters. There was Danny, there was Shark, there was um, um, Charlie. Yep. There was there was Pace, and then there was Daytona. Yep. So it was kind of split up. You know, Daytona did one. I think uh, Danny did three, four. Uh, Bill did two or three, and yep. then Pace four or five. Right. And so I get involved, and I. Th- I don't know when my meetings with this teams were, but it was either in the fall of 94, the fall of 95 after Denver. So I think I was smart enough not to, 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 I'm going to use the term, throw my weight around, but smart enough to make any crazy changes until I understood what was going on. And so I think during the 95 season, Mm -hmm. when I was in Denver, which was the last race of the season, and I'm walking the track, and none of these guys really know who I am. Yeah, you're just and starting, yeah. I know them by faces and names. Right. I don't know any of them. And I think I overhear Damon Bradshaw going, man, this track sucks. It's dangerous. <laughs> it's this. It's that. And I'm listening to this, and I'm going, you know, we've been doing this 15 years, 20 years. Why? Why, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this isn't brain surgery. And so – we have our meeting before the race and I'm talking to, I think Jerry was the overseeing the track, Jerry Russ, Bill's brother. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, we had to, we had to save money on dirt. I said, how do you save money on dirt? That's like your, your truck. <laughs> That's like the most important part of the race, you know, except yeah. for making sure you have riders and fans. I mean, the track is it. And, and, and I didn't, I didn't understand the concept that you would, save a few thousand dollars here that would make such an impact over there. Right. Then you get into the whole safety, which is the number one concern for everybody. And I truly believe that, that the team didn't intend to make an unsafe track and, and the Denver, you know, it's a, my high was a, a hard stadium to work in because you can't go on the grass at all. Yeah. So it's not yeah. even a fun track. It's a linear track. And so, we had the, the next day we had the party, the end of the season party, and, and here we are and nobody shows up, right? Yeah. I mean I mean nobody. Not a rider, not a truck driver, not a mechanic, not a marketing guy, not a team manager. Um, it was probably, you know, the the pace team and, and a few sponsors. And we look like schmucks, you know. I'm like, God, what the heck? This is crazy. So I said, All right, I'm gonna go ahead and meet with the teams yeah and i went out i went out to california and i met with i mean we invited the riders the mechanics yeah the team managers the truck drivers everybody involved I said hey guys i said i'm gonna make these changes you don't know me 
but I guarantee you I'm going to make these changes. And all I want you to do is give me a 1% benefit that I can do it. Yeah. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to trust me, but just give me this 1% chance that I'll deliver. And, um, and we changed the attitude towards from the promoters towards the business mm-hmm. and the attitude, um, you know, was, was an old school attitude. And now the new attitude is, okay, these writers are young kids. I say young cause I'm 60, going to be 62. Yeah. yeah. They're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. They're having new families. They're having been bringing their wives and their babies to the events. And, and what are we going to do for them? Right. What are we going to make them feel like they're home? So, we would get a couple suites at every stadium and we'd put some water and sodas in there and we'd allow the families to go in with the kids and it would be more quiet. But the biggest thing I did is I created the press dinner. And while the dinner was, was there for years and years, it used to be a, you know, 48 foot poor boy sandwich that was cut into slices with back. <laughs> yeah. And so I sat down with Charlie and, and, and the guys in Chicago, I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a hot dinner. We're going to use real plates. We're going to use real napkins. We're going to use real silverware. We're going to have a couple of choices of meat, vegetable, salad. And we're going to make these people, because they're on the road themselves, yeah. you know, sleeping in hotels and they're in this stadium all day long. And they're doing a very important job. And I'm not talking just about the press. Team managers were invited and, and sponsors were invited. And it was this going back to this family of people involved in this sport. Which you took from, yeah, you took from your days on the road in in rock and roll. Absolutely. Yeah. A little bit of of normalcy for 30, 40 minutes. And then for me, I've got the entire industry sitting in my living room and I'm able to talk to everybody. And and so that was a big change. And then another change I did was I just hung out in the pits. Yeah. I do remember that. I I was, uh, my first year as a mechanic was 96. And I was, you know, a privateer mechanic, so I wasn't, you know, a factory Honda guy or Yamaha guy. But I remember being like, oh, hey, that's Gary Becker. Like, he's like the big boss. Like, he's just hanging out there. There's Gary Becker. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can vouch for that. You you would be down there. And, you know, before, I don't know if anybody could put a face on, you know, what's who's in charge here, right? It's always the man. The man is in charge. And who is yeah. this mysterious man? Well, you were you were around. Well, and I probably came by your your tent, you know, because I didn't just stay into into the into the big tents, yeah, you know, the factory tents. I went to see everybody. Got to be very good friends with Mitch Payton. Had a meeting with Mitch and said, "Tell me how I can make this better for you." Uh huh. And you know, and he's opinionated. Yeah. And 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 I listened to him, you know. Right. And you know, nine out of ten things I can do, and one thing I can't do, I couldn't do, and I'd say, Mitch, can't do it. You know, yeah. I didn't hide from it. I just can't do it. And then the parents of the writers were also important because here are these parents that have been funding and pushing and mm-hmm. driving these these five, six, seven year old kids for 10, 15 years to get where they are. So all of a sudden, you know, they're important. Uh, you know, Jack was important. You know, Jeremy's dad. Of course, I was fortunate to have a great champion. During my tenure there, right? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I still maintain to this day. Like, I don't know if anybody has ever been as good as him at PR and being a representative of a sport. Um, I, 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 talk, I just did a story with Jeremy maybe a month ago. He's just fantastic to deal with. Calls you back. Uh, you know what I mean? All this stuff. Just a, a great, great champion. He's the complete package. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. I agree. He, was a, he was a great racer. He was a showman. He was a nice, nice young man. 
he was willing to do interviews. He was willing to sign autographs. He was, he just, he was great. He was a great champion. And so that made my life, you know, more successful because he helped build the sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the champions helped build the sport, right? But he was one of the ones during my term period where kind of all of a sudden the promotion side, the promoters were willing to do more and more to build the sport, not just as a race, but as an entertainment property. Right. So, you know, we created things visually, whether it's pyro or, or banners or lights or whatever. And all of a sudden it became a visual entertainment property. And women were starting to come and the audience went from, you know, 80, 20, 70, 30 guys to, to uh, males to females. Well, now all of a sudden it's, you know, 50, 50. And yep. these, these, these young ladies, they want to come to the, to the races. It's uh, it's striking when you when you watch it Supercross in ninety five ninety six you know ninety four and you look at Supercross ninety eight ninety nine ninety seven like you have tough blocks you have like you said bigger banners uh, lasers it's a lot different. It's a, it's an entertainment property. Yep. Just like baseballs become basketballs become footballs mm-hmm. become, um, and um, and you know, the whole great thing about Supercross is you can see the entire track. Right. And and that's that also helps in presenting the property to the to the to the audience. Did did you feel him? You talk about Mitch Payton from Keith McCarty to DeCoster to these you know to these guys that have been living and breathing in this thing and and they know all about it. And in some cases, like DeCoster, they're an icon, right? They raced and everything else. And you're this kid. You're still young, and you're from the rock and roll side of things. Did you feel accepted? Did you feel like it was working? Did you did you feel respected and all that? Well, I was probably 35 at the time. Yeah. So I wasn't, a, I wasn't a, you know, a young, inexperienced kid. I've been doing this type of stuff, you know, half my life at, at that point. Yep. Um, I think once I, I showed them that 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 we were serious as a team. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm talking, you know, Todd Gendro. I'm talking Rich Winkler. You know, everybody came together, and said, with 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 my. I don't want to say my direction, but just basically the same guys, this is the way we're going to think. Right. And everybody did it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I didn't come in and save the world here. We had this team of people and everybody got it. Everybody got the financial support from the company. Everybody got the moral support from the company and they got my direction that this is what we were going to create. And they implemented and then when that started happening, the racers felt better, mm-hmm. the fans felt better, the teams felt better. I think there were some really good years in in selling uh, selling product for the teams. Right. You know, number, number of bikes in the United States that mm-hmm. that helped, and everything kind of gelled in those years, in those eight years. Did, was it starting to be super profitable? Like or not super profitable, but were you were you noticing a turn turnaround in profits because of sort of the stepping up of the whole series? Hell yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. We sold more tickets. Um, the racers were getting paid more money. The sponsors were stepping up. You know, Parts Unlimited, Jeff stepped up. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody stepped up, and then I think everybody was more comfortable and accepting, and they were having more fun. Yeah, really, right? Was, which is which when is you get yeah. down to it. Being able to do what you want to do and have fun at it, you know, very few people have that opportunity. Well, I, I, 
I got to thank you also because in 96, I was there at the end at in Denver in 96. I was there. It was Pizza Hut and, and Roy Jansen handing out the series ending checks on a flatbed trailer after the race. And right. I went from that to a all booze free at the joint at the Hard Rock in Vegas banquet. Uh, yeah. The day after the, the the night after the the final race. So thanks for that. That was a great time. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that was a turning point as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's when the guy said, "Man, we're being treated as if we're stars. This is fantastic." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, was, yeah. And it's still going on, right? No, no, they canned it years ago, Gary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I I honestly. They they canned it years ago, but I honestly understood it because we, they were getting to a point where the top riders and teams were not showing up for the banquet. They just weren't showing up. And, you know, all of us guys were, and we loved it. But, it, you know, if you are a top rider and, you know, Feld or whoever it was at the time is trying to give you a bunch of money for your seventh place in the series and you don't show up for it, I feel like, yeah, it's a bit disrespectful. So It's not only disrespectful, but it's it, it's 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 part of what the teams and the riders need to give back to every to people like you to the mechanics to the other people that work their ass off in the industry and they deserve that some of that night right yeah they deserve the fun yep yeah i i uh, i actually you know i'm a critic of these guys at times for different things that they do but i i, I supported the canning of the banquet because if you weren't going to get buy-in from some of the top riders and teams then why the hell are you doing it you know so I, yeah I, I totally agree with that yeah I I, totally agree. I I i do too so you're so you're making a difference in supercross you're probably not having as much fun as the rock and roll guns and roses rolling stone stuff but but are you enjoying the the monster trucks and the supercross and the the motorsports end of things from for yourself I would say professionally, beside what I just completed here in Sugarland, Texas, it was the best eight years of my professional life. Really, huh? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was my most successful because I had a bigger hand in it. Yep. And uh, the people were great. Um, I don't know. I, 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 had the, I had the best time. We were very successful. There's nothing better than being a 40-year-old man walking through the pits of Supercross, mm-hmm. knowing that you're appreciated for what you brought to the sport. Right, right. And so when, when people appreciate you for what you do, um, rather than who you may be, um, it was a great feeling. It was a great feeling. And it's just a great bunch of people. And I do remember the purse being bumped up, too, or privateer purse around this time, too. I don't know how much you had to do with that or what it was, but that was a big thing, too. I believe some of the some of the purse money uh, screams were quieted a little bit around this time, too. So, yeah, but, you know, everybody's everybody wants more. Right. Obviously, you know, it really came down to the 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 negative side of the relationship between the promoters and the AMA. Yeah. Yeah. The AMA is great, and they provide a great service. Um, and they represent the OEMs politically, legally, in the way that they need to do that, mm-hmm. and, and their membership. Um, but the difference between them and the promoters is they thought they owned Supercross. Right. And you only own something if you invest in it and take ownership of it and take risk. Take risk, yeah. yeah. And so – and so what people don't see is, you know, the first year when I got involved or the first year we started making all these changes, you know, we probably spent a million dollars on 
track equipment, whether it's the lighting, whether it's the the uh, stages, the right? Yeah, the, the the finish line and all the things. I mean, all that stuff need to be uh, designed and built and sent to the to the uh, from race to race, more staff, and that takes investment. And you know, if you're willing to make that investment, then you know you should reap the rewards. Mm-hmm. And and so when people see the success, and you know, the riders, it's still not enough money for the riders, even though they're getting paid from their sponsors and the OEMs, and you know, they're starting to get some pretty healthy seven-figure numbers during this time period. Um, you know, everybody, it's I guess it's human nature, human business nature. Yeah, everybody, everybody wants to count everybody else's money. <laughs> that's, 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 that's yeah. one, of the, one of the two lessons my dad taught. That's me. not a bad lesson. I like that. I might use that one, by the way. Here's here's the lesson my dad taught me. Don't count the other guy's money because it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Worry, worry about yourself. Whatever money you make, you make. Whatever he makes, he or she, I'll be politically correct. Mm-hmm. Whatever he or she makes, not your concern. It's not yours to, to count or yours to deal with. Yeah. And the other the other thing he taught me is be fair. Both parties need to win. Right. Follow yep. those two rules. You'll have a great business career. I uh I like it. I agree with it. It's great. Good 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 uh good advice for sure from Dad. Yeah. Um. So and that's where kind of things just speaking with the AMA and all of that. That's where kind of things start to go south a little bit. The contract is up between the AMA and uh, and Pace to run Supercross series, and negotiations aren't going so well. Well, Pace, you know, Pace sold in 99, mm-hmm. so now we're SFX Motorsports. Yep. And um, my brother, who's a who's a brilliant business guy, he's like, okay, Gary, we've, we've, we've put all these music companies together, mm-hmm. and if you want motorsports to be a big part of this company, because all of a sudden it was a big part of Pace, and now it's a little pebble with this huge music company. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to go buy some some properties, World of Outlaws, and there were three or four others that he wanted to buy. Uh-huh. I said, Brian, that's not for me. <laughs> that's not for me. I'll just work out my contract. I'll continue to run Supercross. We'll finalize the deal with the AMA. We'll get some longevity, and everything will be great. And then I'll I'll retire. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll go do something else. And so things, you know, kind of got a little crazy during this time period. The AMA, you know, wanted more money and wanted more of this. And it was a, it was a considerable amount of money. Um, at the time I thought it was worth doing, um, because Supercross was very successful at this point. Yeah. And for, you know, two reasons over here and one reason over there and different sides of the stories, um, it didn't work out well. <laughs> it didn't work out well. And, and uh, you know, corporations, as corporations do, they say, you know, Gary, we're, we're going to take you out of the the management with AMA. I said, no, you're not. You yeah. guys have never dealt with these guys. You don't know what you're doing. Right. You, you're you like, I, I see these guys. I know these people. Right. Yeah. yeah you know, well, I've dealt with them. Right. right? And um, we just need to make this deal. And, and put everything behind us. Well, they weren't in favor of that. I was in favor of it. They're, they're, trying, they're trying to use the hammer hard, right? Yeah, they're trying to do hard. And um, and so was the AMA, by the yep, way. Yep, yep. So both sides are trying to play big boy. 
and uh, I think they both lost. You know, well, the AMA think- goes to Jam. The AMA goes to Jam Motorsports. For people who don't understand. And they they promote Jam Motorsports, and they announce a Supercross series, and uh, at all these venues, I'm going to fill in the blanks here, Gary, for, for people who are well, listening. Well, they they, they announced two two or three of pace dates that were now going to be awarded to Jam. Yeah, and, and and so all of a sudden, war was on. The the war was on. We there was a new promoter running Supercross, except the folks at FSX, uh, you know, basically went around and. Uh, Kind of went to the AMA or the FIM, I should say, in Europe, which the AMA works under, and and next thing you know, they're back in, and Jam Sports is gone, and there's a there's a lawsuit involved, and it's you know the history of Supercross, whether you go to Mike Goodwin, Mickey Thompson, uh, to 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 FXX and Jam and AMA, I mean there are some webs, Gary, in there, some some oh, yeah. you know some real stories. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. um, it got messy. It got messy. It got really messy. Yeah, and, and 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 a great story would be for me to track down these jam sports guys and find out their side of things because that's a great story. Good luck trying to find those guys. I guess. So you know, it, it's not a great. It, it's 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 one of those skeletons. Yes. Yeah. And it and it was over. You know, on the pace side, on the SFX side, I don't want to say it was greed. It was more protection of investment. Right. The AMA side, it was greed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the AMA had this thing, we own Supercross, and promoters were saying, no, well, the promoter was us in Daytona. Yep. Uh, no, you don't. You've right. never invested anything in it. Yeah, you provide the scoring and the rules. What do you What do you yeah. got? What do you got? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you provide services. Right, um, right. But, you know, Ed Youngblood back then was, was, um, was, a, was uh, a character in, in just – he was a roadblock. Yep. I mean, I'll be, I'll be polite. Yeah. Yeah. And respectful. He was a roadblock. Um, the best thing we did was hire Roy Jansen away from the AMA. Mm-hmm. Um, because Roy, you know, he has this heart for the sport, loves the sport, lives the sport. Mm-hmm. He just needed better direction. He, he just needed to use his talents and his heart <laughs> for the betterment of the sport rather than than the bulldog that he could be. He, he Roy can be very scary, a military man and very oh, scary. Yeah. Yes. But he did a great job. You know, while I was there, he did a great job. And, you know, a couple of times I said, Hey Roy, mm-hmm. let's think about it this way. <laughs> okay. You don't need to go out and punish somebody cause you're pissed off. Wait till tomorrow and discuss what you really want done. And then you get what you want done, done, and both of you guys win. How about a feather instead of a hammer, Roy? Well, just <laughs> sleep, sleep on it. Take the emotion out. Take the emotion out yeah. of it. Yeah. What do you want to accomplish? Right. What does that person want to accomplish? And you're not going to accomplish it by yelling at each other in the production office in front of me because that doesn't work for me. Right. Right. So, so we uh, split them. Up. I think it was with Keith, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Imagine and, that. You know, yeah. I love, I love Keith. Yeah. I love Keith. That that would have been probably argument eight hundred and forty-eight that Keith McCarty and Roy Jansen have had over the years. Right. 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 Um. So for you, but but even having said that, and all of this, you you found the roots of a deal of what you thought could be a deal before they before you were kind of pushed aside. I actually agreed to their deal. Okay. Life's too short. And it was, it accounted for like 25 cents a ticket. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm like, guys, just raise the ticket price 25 cents. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I mean, we're in the middle of this incredible growth spurt. Yep, yep. We're doing great. It makes a lot of money. It's very successful. It's an exciting sport. Why are we Why are we trying to negotiate? And it was over seven years, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a big number, but it was over seven years. I said, guys, we'll make it up. This, let's yep. put this behind us and move forward. Right. But, you know, there's bad blood, old school blood, yeah. promoters in AMA that they just can't put that aside and focus on what's in the best interest of the sport and of the parties. And, and this had to be killing you. A guy that kind of, from what, you know, the little I know you, the guy that, you know, wants to make everybody happy, lives by your dad's rules that you just told us 10 yeah. minutes ago. This had to kill you. I can, I can tell you without getting emotional. Um, and I was this day, I drove to the airport. This is when they basically removed me from, okay. from dealing with the AMA and, and being the, the, the leader of the sport. Mm-hmm. I went to the airport to go to, uh, to Anaheim opening round. I sat in the airport parking lot. I turned around and went home and I haven't been to a supercross since. Wow. Really? I have not been, I have not been to a supercross race since 2002. 2003 yeah really yeah wow yeah and, and just did they, they just they didn't want you anymore they didn't want you around to to to, to help them they, they just thought that that you know i guess that's it right they're like hey get get gary out of here because he's he's not hard enough i guess uh, they, did, they didn't agree with me right you know um and i got i got stabbed in the back by a couple guys yep. you know charlie mancuso being one of them um He's not a great, you know, this guy knew motor, this guy knew monster trucks. Right. This guy was brilliant on monster trucks. Yep. Um, he had a, uh, a very brash personality. Oh yeah. Oh yes. You know? yep. And when people work so hard at their job doing what we do, you can't treat them like shit. No, no. And, I, yeah. And, and that was kind of the, the mentality in the office before I took over. And then when this happened, it became the mentality once again, and I can't work in that environment. We no longer own the company, so it's not, you know, the whole golden rule comes into play. He who owns the gold makes the rule. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. And I can't I can't do that. I, I couldn't show my face to these, these people that I had committed so much to yeah. and delivered so much to and change things about face. And so I never intended not to ever go to a race. Yeah. When I left in 2002 or 2003, it went, you know, two or three years went by that they still owned the company. And then it, you know, turned into Live Nation and then Live Nation sold it off to Fell. Yep. Um, I just, I just never been. That's incredible though. To me that, yeah, yeah, what a, yeah, what a turn. Because I mean, again, I was around for this time. Supercross transformed. It it did get better. It, 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 It was an improvement, you know? Yeah, and then maybe, maybe I've never been invited either. That's bullshit, Gary. <laughs> I got I got I got to talk to some people. Gendro's still around, so you know. Gendro's yeah, uh, great. Yeah, yeah. And Dave Prater, who probably was a very was Dave Prater around for your days, or was he? The, the, name, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, Dave is now you know now Dave is now Todd, 
And there's another guy that runs Todd's job at the, at the venues now. And so, yeah, right. you know, it's a lot of the same people still involved uh, that you were around. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And you don't really follow it anymore either, right? You told me. You're just, yeah. No. Yeah. No, I don't. I couldn't tell you one rider's name. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's sad for sure. Uh, especially when you told us earlier that this was the most rewarding thing, you know, that you've done. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a great, it was a great eight or nine years of my life. Well, that's, uh, yeah, well, Fly Racing, Racer X Podcast with Gary Becker. Uh, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a great story, Gary. And, and again, uh, thank you for your, your help with the sport, man. Like I said, I was around. I saw it. It was good. Uh, it was, a, it was a, boon, a boon time for the sport, and uh, it's sad that politics got in the way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about was the U.S. Open. Uh, my buddy, Eric Pernard, I just saw him a, a couple weeks ago. I was in Florida. Um, he started the U.S. Open, and he's got a really funny story involving you. Now, your guys' recollections don't quite match up, but that doesn't matter. That's still, it's still, you know, because it was a long time ago. But um, so, what do you think of when you when you hear Eric Pernard is starting the U.S. Open of Supercross in the fall of '98? Uh, we're pretty upset about it. <laughs> uh, we we weren't upset about the event. Brilliant event, yeah. brilliant idea for an event. You know, we're all we're always for anything that elevates the sport of motorcycle racing. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I heard from Bob Sillerman, who who was SFX and he bought all these companies, he's like, we don't need to go out and take other people's business. Okay, we're okay with our pie being 70, 80, whatever it is, right percent. I want you to build me a bigger pie. Yeah. Give me more opportunities. And that's what Eric does, right? He's just a guy that goes out and creates very cool stuff. Um, and uh, just a hell of a nice guy. But he was calling it Supercross. Right. And Supercross has a distinct definition. And his event did not meet that definition. Mm-hmm. And at the time, so you say 98, so I've been doing it three years. And at the time, we just invested this millions of dollars into our track and the way we do business and everything we're doing and things are great, yep. you know, and then uh, Eric comes in and calls it U.S. Open and Supercross. Right. Now, now Eric will tell tell you that he went to the AMA and they said, yeah, you can use the term Supercross. Here's a license. We will give you a license for Supercross. Here it is. <laughs> I don't doubt that. Right, right, right. I don't doubt that. <laughs> uh, but the AMA had a definition of Supercross. Yeah. And that's what we all lived by for all these years. Right. And no. So, you know, we had to protect it, right? Right. So, so I went after Eric. You know, I sued him for a dollar. Um, now, what did you think of Eric when you met him? Him and his wife. <laughs> this guy's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's that guy that he doesn't really get mad and he just talks and he's friendly. And, you know, I have the funniest story about Eric. Yeah. That is, we're in deposition. And so I think my attorney was like, and again, we sued him for a dollar, right? Yeah. And for, and for him to remove the name. Um, so none of this was financial. Um, and I think Arena Cross was starting to get pretty popular in the mid-90s as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Mike Kidd was doing some Arena Crosses. He was. So yep. to us, this was Arena Cross. This wasn't a Super mm-hmm. And just for the listeners to know, the definition of Supercross is in a stadium with 25,000 plus people. Right. Right. And so uh, and so my attorney says to Eric, okay, you know, tell me about you. Tell me how you got involved. Blah, blah, blah. And Eric's, you know, I'm a French guy. I 
been in motorcycle racing most of my career over in Europe. And I am bringing, you know, I came to America and I want to bring my ideas because I guess the Paris Supercross is, is a very high intensity, well produced, exciting entertainment property. Right. And, um, and he goes, so I came here and, uh, you know, I, I, I met my wife and I know if anybody's met Carol, she's a beautiful lady mm-hmm. and a sweet lady. And he goes, and then he said something like, like, and then I, I didn't work for a couple years or something. I forgot yeah. exactly what it said. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I forgot exactly. And I, I remember sitting up in my chair going, well, now that's the American dream. <laughs> Some great guy moves to America. Yeah. Finds a beautiful young lady. Sells his dealership. He sold his dealership. He sold his dealership is how he got the money. Yeah. I I didn't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's what I said. And it was a pretty funny, it was a funny chuckle, right? Right. And so we went through this, this lawsuit, which I think lasted, you know, a day or something. It wasn't a big deal. And, and, you know, we got him to agree. I said, Eric, we're going to support you every way we can. We're going to, you know, talk about your event. We're going to do everything we think we can to make you successful. Just we're not going to support you using the name Supercross. Right, right. And um, and he still owes me a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> now he was telling me, like, yeah, basically at the deposition, before you went in or or afterwards, you pulled him aside, and he were you were just like, "What are we doing? Um, we're just going to buy you. We're just going to buy you." And, and he was like, "Okay." <laughs> like there was all this hostility. There was a lawsuit. And, and and he said, uh, two days before the first event, he found out that the whatever happened, the judge wouldn't allow the lawsuit to go through. So he was able to sell merchandise and keep with Supercross on and everything else. So that was a victory, but it was almost shut down before the first event, right? So I, I yeah. will I will tell you, there was never any animosity. Right. There was never any anger or any you know cussing at each other. It was all done. In a way of two guys that just met, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But became instantaneous friends. Right. And we've been friends ever since. And, you know, he's one of the guys that I haven't talked to in five years. And I talked to him. It's like it was yesterday. Right. Right. Yeah. He's the one who got me your your contact and told me to call yeah. you for this podcast. Yeah. 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 He, he's just that kind of guy. And he, you know, and he does great work. You know, he's committed to his to his work. And so he... He's been able to create some great things, and you know, I, I was doing some some business in in Las Vegas at the Orleans Arena, and he he brought several events there, and they were just really cool events. Yeah, what did you think of that U.S. Open the first couple of years? I mean, it was great. Yeah, you're paying the guys a lot of money, which you know kind of added pressure on us, right? But it was an industry favorite. I mean, it was. Yep. People liked going to Vegas. They're there for a couple of days. And you know it's like it's like it's 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 like the banquet, right? Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for the business to come together. You don't have points on the line. You got money on the line, mm-hmm. but you know you don't have the stress of being in the series. And you can go and have fun. The industry can have fun with each other, and that's what the banquet was about. And I was really sad to hear when you said that people stopped showing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really did. There's something more than just business in these series in this racing there's got to be something more because so many people put so much into it and you know 80 percent of the people are, are are just making a living right you know they're not getting rich out there they just love the sport 
and at, at a point you gotta you gotta appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things you know he told me was you know pricing the tickets, the close tickets at a hundred dollars was stressing him out, and he was freaking out about it. And he wasn't sure it was a good idea. It was Pete Fox's idea, and you know make it make it elite, make it a, make it you know hard to get, make it a make it a big deal, and they sold out within like a month or whatever. Yeah, they did great. Yeah, yeah. They did great. I, I love pointing out too that the uh, the winner got a hundred thousand dollars in nineteen ninety eight, and in two thousand and twenty one, the winner still gets a hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. Just saying. Just pointing that's that still, out. Still pretty good payday. It is. It is. Yep. Absolutely. You know, if, you, if you think about that, there's probably been some years where the race did not do well. Hmm. And so, you know, being on the other side, being on that side of it. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's reasonable. It's right. reasonable. A lot goes into that. A lot's been invested. And if you, if you compare, you know, like even at Supercross, you know, there's times where Supercross doesn't do well. Like look now, I mean, the last 15 months. Yeah. Right. Yep. Feld's, getting, Feld's getting punished. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but they're still out there doing the races the best way they know how. And uh, the business is getting punished. Absolutely. No, you're right. And, and so you kind of got to plan for that. And you know, like like at the beginning of our of our of our podcast, here, you know, you asked me if all the divisions were doing great. Well, you know, sometimes the theatrical division would do great, and concerts would. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, and motorsports was pretty much even keel. Mm -hmm. Because we're not relying on Elton John playing four of our amphitheaters. We're not relying on. Uh, Lion King being in our theaters that calendar year, that right. fiscal year, you know. Right. But just it, it's not always what people think, and and it goes back to the human nature by once more and this and that, and sometimes it's reasonable and sometimes it's not. Yeah, absolutely right. Sometimes you can't do things as you as you've told Mitch Payton, right, and everything else. Sometimes you just can't do it. And, and for yourself, when you're when you're running Supercross, you know, um, is every event very profitable or are there events even without weather or anything else were there events that didn't make money i think they all you know made money to some of yeah when you when you have corporate overhead of five six seven million dollars it's mm -hmm. got to make more than just a few thousand dollars right right the, the, the dallas supercross had some tough years yep um i think there were a couple tough years in indianapolis um you know anaheim did great but right. you know you have, you have limited seats uh, San Diego was always kick ass. You know, Vegas yeah. was was Vegas was was sometimes hard to sell tickets. Yeah, to. yeah, it was. Yeah, it didn't always do great for sure. Well, uh, St. Louis wasn't you know a hit every year. Mm -hmm. So you know, a lot of it depends on the economy in that region and the economy overall. And, and maybe maybe whatever came through a month before or a month after or whatever, right? Yeah. But but Supercross is a very successful property. Yeah. You know. Uh, and, and hope it's successful for everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. The, 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 you know, I'm a critic of the guys at Feld and Ben Pace and CEO. And, I, and you know, uh, Ken Hudgens, Charlie Mancuso, these guys haven't always been happy with things I've written and said about the sport. Um, you know, and, and I get it and I understand it. I do think they can give back more. However, I have lessened my my criticism because, dude, we're in a pandemic, and they're making it happen, and they're get, get, the people are keeping their jobs because of this series, you know, and right. and it's time to cut them some slack and cut them some breaks, you know. Well, it's just, you know, just be fair. Yeah, just be fair. Yep, and, uh, and reasonable, and and you know, and as long as they're 
responsive. You know, there ought to be an element of honesty where, you know, if you give them, give them a hard time for this, you know, specific thing, I guarantee you they're not doing it on purpose. Right. Right. Not that they're getting the best result or they're making the right decision or the best decision or the decision you think they should be made. I think, you know, people like Todd, their hearts in it, you know, they love the sport. Mm -hmm. No one, no one is really trying to do anything detrimental, but it is a for-profit endeavor. Yep. And, you know, with that in mind, certain things happen And, and, and it just had to be during my time period, you know, as a company, we were willing to invest time and money into it and we reaped a lot of benefits and then i think it took supercross to a new level and i think it's continued i'm assuming it's continued um yeah and and that's you know better than it was 20 years ago well so it, yeah i mean listen monster trucks and supercross sold for 260 million dollars to the feld folks so you know it was doing well everything was doing well you know so there's a reason why where'd you get 260 from uh that's just off the top of my head was it more than that I, I don't think it was that much. But uh, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll we'll Google it. We'll check it out. Um, you know, yeah, but how do you know Mr. Google knows the truth? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, no, you're right. No, you're right. All I can tell you is, if you're fair and reasonable, then you should be able to say what you want. Right. Uh, actually, yep. And, and and criticize and applaud in even manner. 175 million plus an additional 30 million based on future profits, which they probably don't have to pay now. But uh, 175 million, yeah. That sounds like a better number. Um, Gary Becker, what what a life you've led, man! I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. It's f- fantastic the things you've done. It's got to you got to just sit back every day and uh, and really uh, count your blessings. I mean, no, nobody's life is perfect, but God, dude, the the, the stuff you've done is 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 amazing. Hey, I definitely count my blessings. I have a beautiful wife, new wife, and we have six kids together mm-hmm. and two dogs. <laughs> and we're 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 healthy. We've made it through the pandemic, and uh, yeah, so I, I appreciate that. Um, it, it's been a good life. I don't think I would change much, right? Um, Maybe don't cover up the drains at the Cotton Bowl. Well, well, I wouldn't do that again. You, <laughs> you know, you can't change anything, right? What you've done is what you've done. Yeah. But it's it's been fun, and I've made a lot of good friends and a lot of stories. Hey, you should write a book. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> because you don't want to get people in trouble or yourself or other people? Is that it? Uh, I don't know. I can tell you, my, my one-year-old boxer just walked in my office with Half of a tree. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, there you go. That sounds like a perfect time to end this. Um, uh, our, our second podcast, by the way. Um, thank you for the time. Again, I appreciate it. I feel like such an idiot. Uh, I still don't know what happened uh, to the first conversation we had in your in your offices in Houston, but I, I really do appreciate the time again. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for our sport. Thank you for elevating Supercross. I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I really do believe that because, uh, as I said, 14 times already. I was there. I saw it. It, it, it took it to a new level. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, and thanks for the time, man. Absolutely, Steve. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. Good luck. Good health. Be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. 
Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, like being a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did, everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven time, Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled fifth and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey,